the Ecology Prime Studios. This is Circle for Original Thinking. I am your host, Glenn Aparicio Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers. An open forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each week, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions. We ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day. Political polarization, climate change, virulent viruses, and other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a whole and sacred America. A new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one. And this time, not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. Now, Americans often think of their founding fathers as visionaries who created the world's best participatory democracy. The phrase Pluribus Unum implies unity in diversity. All men are created equals, penned by Thomas Jefferson, the same person that owned 600 slaves during his lifetime. How do we reconcile this incongruence? In previous podcasts, we provided some clues, including the little-known fact that the high-minded values of liberty, equality, and natural rights were influenced by and often directly appropriated from Native American societies that were truly egalitarian. But the Founding Fathers only appropriated what they understood or wanted to include. Specifically, they left out women and people of color. In so doing, they created an American shadow. A significant part of our history has been repressed or marginalized as a way of protecting white male privilege a history we are only beginning to face. In an odd way, we have Donald Trump to thank for his presidency has been a catalyst for the revealing of the American shadow. This has been dangerous because it has given license to previously suppressed forces to openly hate. But it has also been an opportunity to see America as it really is and maybe, just maybe, to change. Three and a half years into the Trump administration, the Black Lives Matter movement surpassed the Women's March to become the largest movement in world history. And while Black Lives Matter has a much longer history predating the Trump administration, it has now garnered a record number of allies to the cause. Is white America waking up? To discuss this and more, we are joined today by two very creative men that have breathed new life into the concept of liberty and artistic expression. Through the merging of music, poetry, and social activism, they are making an impact in shifting the consciousness of America away from the politics of intolerance and exclusion and toward the politics of love and inclusion. They teamed up together on a video version of the song Liberty, and if you haven't noticed, that is the song that graces the opening of each and every Circle for Original Thinking podcast. They're here to talk about their collaboration on that project, Black Lives Matter, Unity and Diversity, and much more. Our guests, Hakeem Bellamy and Ron Crowder. First, I want to introduce Ron, 
a little a little like the founding members of Steely Dan. You know, Ron Crowder has been an award-winning audio engineer, producer, and session player long before he started composing, recording, and performing his own songs. And ever since, he has been an award-winning singer-songwriter. Ron won the award for Best Song for Liberty at the 2018 New Mexico Music Awards, along with his co-writers, Jim Casey and Danny Casey. And then Ron has followed that with a new song, This Is The Moment. It's both a timely and prescient song that won the award for Best Song at the 2020 New Mexico Music Awards, and he also uh, cleaned up the uh, Best Audio Engineer at those awards. Crowder is, very importantly, donating 100% of the net proceeds from the sales of This Is The Moment to the Navajo Hopi COVID-19 Relief Fund. So that tells you something about Ron, Ron's heart. Now, Ron is going to be joined by Hakeem Bellamy. Hakeem has been called a civic catalyst, a cultural change agent, and a gardener for democracy, a poet, a musician, and a peace ambassador. He burst onto the Albuquerque scene just over a decade ago and shortly after became the inaugural poet laureate of Albuquerque, New Mexico, from 2012 to 2014. Hakeem is also the national and regional poetry slam champion and holds three consecutive collegiate poetry slam titles at the University of New Mexico. I think you were mentored there by Levi Romero, a very good man. His poetry has been published on the Albuquerque Convention Center on the outside of a library and inner city buses and in numerous anthologies across the globe. In 2013, he was awarded the Emerging Creative Bravos Award by Creative Albuquerque. It was named a W.K. Kellogg Foundation Fellow, as well as a Food Justice Resident Artist at Santa Fe Art Institute in 2014. And, and Bellamy has been named the Best Poet in the Weekly Alibi's Annual Best of Berkeley poll every year between 2010 and 2017. His first book, Swear, published by West End Press, won the Tilly Olson Award for Creative Writing from the Working Class Studies Association. He's also the co-creator of the multimedia hip-hop theater production Urban Verbs Hip Hop Conservatory and Theater that has been staged throughout the country, and he regularly facilitates youth writing workshops for schools, jails, churches, prisons, and community organizations in New Mexico and beyond. These are two super fine men, and I'm so... So pleased to have you on the show. How are you guys doing today? Happy to be here. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, thanks for having us, Glenn. Excellent. Thank you. The first thing I want to do for our audience is to play the play the the video version of the song Liberty. At least I'm intending that this particular podcast will be released in both audio and video formats. Up, up till now, we've been releasing only on audio, but... I think it would be a shame not to see the video. So uh, so let's sit back and have a listen to Liberty. And by the way, if it does not get released in a video podcast, you just simply Google Ron Crowder and Hakeem Bellamy and Liberty, and you'll find them on YouTube. Now, here's the song.
song thank you so ron how did the song and the collaboration with hakim come about you know it's it's kind of a long story i'll i'll try to condense it but basically uh i had written the song with my friends jim casey and danny casey and uh we were fortunate to win the song of the year in 2018 and it became the title track for my cd that I released later that year. And right away, right when I played the song, uh, for my girlfriend, she hadn't heard it even before. I don't, I don't even think she heard it before we won the award. I, I, I'm not sure why I didn't play it for her, but she said the first words out of her mouth were this song needs a rap in it. And I said, cool. 
She's like, no, no, it really, it needs a rap and you have to do it. And I was like, the song's done. I, you know, I already won the award. I can't, what am I supposed, I can't, am I supposed to try to make it better? I mean, what do you, what do you want from me? And, and she, she would not let it go. And she kept, uh, every time we played a gig and we'd play the song, she, she would tell the band, Hey, do you guys know a rapper? Do you know a rapper? We need a rap in this song. I'm telling you. And, uh, one night she, she happened to just be really adamant about it at a club. And my bass player said, well, how about Akeem Bellamy? And I said, well, I know who he is, uh, but I, do you know how to get all of them? I don't, I don't know him. I, and, and he's like, no, I don't. And so I kind of, it was in the back of my mind and, and literally it was about a week later. I, uh, my friend Craig Vensel, who directed the video and, uh, uh, did much of the cinematography. I did the editing, but we were out looking for a, a location to shoot it at. And we wound up at a place called Kay and Molly designs in Albuquerque. And, and they were unveiling a mural there and the mayor was there and uh, certain members of the cultural affairs department. And in the midst of it, Craig said, Hey, I want you to go. I want you to meet my friend over here. Akeem Bellamy. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, this is too weird, man. This is like a, a time warp kind of weird synchronicity. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm no stranger to synchronicity, but it's always freaky when it happens. And there, there are those moments when you're like, okay, pay attention, pay attention to what's happening now, and see because this feels too weird. And then Hakeem and I, I felt a vibe with him immediately. And I, I just blurted it out. I told him this story briefly and I said, can I send you the song and see if anything moves you to write some lyrics and, and would you like to be involved? And he said, yeah, please send it to me. And about a week later, he sent me some lyrics that are the lyrics of the rap that he does in the video. And it, they blew me away. I, they actually brought me to tears. Um, I got immediately asked him to come into the studio to record the audio version of that. And then, uh, the video took another probably, I would say nine months or so to pull together wow. between shooting schedules and Hakeem's schedule, my schedule, Craig's schedule, uh, lining up kids. We, we literally did this whole video on a budget of zero dollars. Nobody got paid anything. Everybody volunteered their time. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's basically the, the short version. <laughs> that's a good version. That's a good version. That's my favorite city too. Synchronicity. <laughs> Me too. Synchrons, synchron city. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Hakeem, anything you want to add to that for, for, it's a beautiful retelling, Ron. Ron, Ron's version is the version. <laughs> it's the version. Um, I, I, he, he's, he's magnanimous. He said that, that my lyrics moved him. His song moved me. Like, mm. that's just how I operate, you know? And he sent me the, he sent me the song. And like, I didn't have like words when I first heard it, but I knew I wanted to have words for it. Right. You know, and then it was just a matter of, um, another act of synchronicity for my life to be operating in a way where some space opened up. And um, not where I live now, where I lived before I met my fiance. I remember being in my little apartment. My son was with his mom that weekend. And I remember, like, whatever I was doing outside had two of the lines. And then when, like, line three and four start falling, you're just like, I got to catch it. Like, you run inside and you, like, find something to write with. Because <laughs> like, you know, I, I knew the part about Philadelphia. That was my um, – I grew up in Philly, born in Philadelphia. Mm. And the Liberty Bell is super, like, 
prominent. It's a, it's a thing. But as any poet, you're like, I don't want to go for the obvious metaphor. Like, what's the what are the layers of it? And when the layers started coming into place, um, I was excited and wrote it and sent it to Ron the next day, feeling like I took too long to get back to him. Like, he's probably moved on. He probably found someone else to write this stuff. Like, I should get him something sooner than later. Um, I'm sure whenever I was writing it, like CNN was on in the background, some so politically inspired generally, but it was just like, yeah, this is the antidote to what ails us. And, and that was, you know, just at the beginning of the current administration. So, so like, you know, right. like, like, like yeah. you know, I just, I, I felt like, you know, I don't have any answers other than art and uh, Ron's invited me to do it, but he's right that the, the serendipity of us meeting the, the, the kismet of the energy between us when we first met and I, you know, have been in this job at that point, not very long, but um, but I'm really good old friends with Kay and Molly. So I was very excited that, that my director had kind of got that project moving and, and to show up there and Craig, who I'd worked with here and there in my trajectory. So for him to bring someone up that would ask me to write some poetry. And I was like, that's great. Cause I feel like I was losing that part of myself. This, oh. is, this is my chance. This is my chance to put something out there. And, and, and yeah, and Ron's song did, did all the hard work before I was part of it and did all the hard work after, even with the video shoot. But I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to have, to have been invited. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a moving retail. You know, the, that song is a very special song. And, you know, I, I should say that, you know, I got to, uh, I got to be Ron because I, I recorded my audio book with him and, uh, and he, he, he gave me the song Liberty, and the first thing I said to Ron is, you know, this is not a coincidence that I'm recording my audio book with you. This song is amazing. This is a very important song. And now he's written another one. This is the moment. And, and we're, you know, I, I love the way things come together. They are coming together in a beautiful way. So anyway, I want to ask you guys a very serious question now. I mean, it's almost, uh, um, but this is a serious time. Mm-hmm. I want to bring in a little bit of history too, because I'm I'm thinking about uh, American history and the way, you know, when the founding fathers started, only white male property owners, you know, could could vote. You know, um, actually, you know, in the colonies, uh, women could vote. And uh, people of color could vote in the colonies if they own property. <laughs> but, actually, but the founding of the political nation, uh, the founding fathers gave the, the legal status to the state to set laws, and that's when they started setting laws that excluded. Um, they, they, uh, uh, but some things, there were some weird exceptions, like New Jersey up to 1807, people of color could vote and women could vote. Um, Wyoming gave the vote to women in 1870. <laughs> You know, 50 years before uh, it was done nationally. So things have happened. Sometimes things happen in funny twists and turns, you know. Um, and I, I think a lot about Andrew Jackson. Uh, Andrew Jackson in, in 1830. You know, Andrew Jackson is normally thought of as the creator of the Democratic Party, which is thought about as the party of the people. I mean, truthfully, the Democratic Party by name doesn't even happen until 1840. And Andrew Jackson is, you know, the single greatest force for ethnic cleansing in the 19th century. I mean, the, the Indian Removal Act of 1830 comes in, and he, he he kills or rounds up the, you know, first he fights with the with the Creek, and then he goes into Florida, which is not even part of the United States, gets the Seminole, and then the Chickasaw, Choctaw, and the last with the Cherokee in the in the infamous Trail of Tears. But what a lot of people don't realize 
is that he wasn't just rounding up native people. He was also moving slave populations and free blacks along with them to pave the way for the white populations to move in. That was his vision. If you, you know, if you want to you guess it's a vision. Um, but here's the funny thing about what Andrew Jackson did and also what Donald Trump has been doing in moving Indian populations around the country along with the slave populations and free blacks. Jackson, who was trying to pave the way for a white America, actually created opportunities for Indians, blacks, and whites to mix. And they mixed in every way, which is to say there were social relationships and sexual relationships, and in some cases, intermarriage and the creation of loving families. You know, and I, I think about what's happening now, and you know, and and Donald Trump has made certain certain um, dog whistles, which is a beautiful term for you know where you don't have to be overt in in your racism, but you send out the dog whistle that is the code that's heard, and uh, that has liberated some racist elements to go public in some pretty ugly ways, like at Charlottesville. And I'm part Jewish, so I was shocked to see what happened then, but I shouldn't have been shocked because it's been happening since since the 1920s. The KKK merged, you know, anti-Jewish sentiment and anti-black sentiment. Um, but I was shocked to see the people chanting, Jews will not replace us, but I shouldn't have been shocked. That's the thing. The shadow of America has come out, and and we see the way what it really, really is. But also something else happened. Some counterforce happened. And uh, uh, first the women's movement, now uh, then the Me Too movement, uh, the Women's March, I should say, then the Me Too movement. And, and Black Lives Matter, which had already started, gets, I would call it almost Black Lives Matter 2.0. You know, um, it's just a, it's amazing what's happening. So my question for both of you is how do you take how do you take incoming hate and creatively turn that energy around you know kind of a keto style into love how, how do you do that how do you do that and uh you you want to answer first Hakeem? Man, um, I was hoping to hear Ron's answer. Oh, I, was hoping, I was hoping to hear yours, man. <laughs> I feel like Ron, generally, Ron generally comes from, uh, like his energy that, that, that was contagious to me was that I was like, man, not just that we have share a love for art, but he, I was like, yo, this guy believes like this is not some liberty, you know, he's not out here trying to write a political song. It's political mm. by virtue of how much he loves mm. the, the intention of it and, 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 and the God's honest belief in, um, what we can be. And, 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 and if you look back through the history books that you were talking about, Glenn, so, so eloquently, you know, that's, that's the same spirit that moves a Frederick Douglass or a Martin Luther King. Like this, 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 this the state has been horrible to me, but I, I believe in, in, in its, its possibility. And, uh, and, and that is the love that I, that I orate with or create with in, in our sense. Now, as a critical artist and a critical poet, I, I feel like I'm more of a glass half empty guy sometimes, but <laughs> that is also what fuels, you know, the, the desire to, cause, cause I feel like if you don't point it out, we can't change it, right? It's like a typical, like, you know, um, AA, you know, philosophy. I have to admit I'm a drunk before I can, <laughs> you know, in America is going through a reckoning now. Like, 
49 or 51 percent of the population wants to admit we're racist and mm. proceed with with the remedy um the other half are like nah it's serving me pretty good let's do what we've been doing right like you know and so like there's there's it's kind of those two kind of competing narratives of 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 who we should be i don't think there's any competition for the narrative of who we are and who we've been I don't actually. I think that every that's there's a little bit of consensus around that. The competition is more about what do we want to be moving forward, right? And so I feel like that is where artists have always like occupied that space of, you know, I think of like Audrey Lord or I think of some of the um black women writers generally that I admire, you know, that especially the ones doing like black um Afro Afrofuturism and things like that, um, saying like, you know, the artist's job has always been to imagine the possible futures, right? Um, JFK alluded to it when he talked about the country being better if there were more poets and presidents and presidents, the president, poets were more like presidents and presidents were more like poets. That's like a poor, poor, um, distillation of what he said. But the idea that there's the prac, there's the people who are practical who will get it done and that's great, but they have no imagination. So the people who want to come up with where we're going to go, um, are great about imagination and not about the how to get there. And I'm in a unique place, right, as a bureaucrat who has to hold space for both left-brained and right-brained, you know, uh, activities. But but I'll say this and, and totally kick it to Ron. Two things you touched on that I'm glad you touched on um, or that I actually think of this as Black Lives Matter 3.0 because I look at, like, Trayvon Martin and then I look at Mike Brown and then I look at now and there might have been a 2.5 in there. But it's kind of been a every... 18 months to 24 months, we're back here and this feels different. This feels different than the other iterations of it. It feels, it feels like it's lasting and it has some endurance for a number of reasons. Um, and then also just the funny art nerd part about, yeah, New Jersey, which is my, I was born in Philly, but my grew up in New Jersey. And, uh, my favorite part of Hamilton is how they keep echoing that kind of quip, like everything is legal in New Jersey. Yes, everything is legal in New Jersey, right? (laughs) (laughs) Including personhood, which is not a bad thing, right? (laughs) Not a bad thing. Um, but, but yeah, like the, that, the, the idea that the grand experiment even, and that those forefathers were songwriters. Um, I mean, you gotta like even Jefferson, you know, we all have a love hate relationship with, um, it's like, I, and you, and you and I were talking about it, Glenn, in the pregame, even, you know, um, that, like, you know, the, the idea that we may not get here with you. Like, the idea that Dr. King's dream was perfect and he was an imperfect man. Same can be said for the Founding Fathers, right? Like, you know, um, and so, but who who's going to hold the energy for the dream? And that's where the artists come into play. And so I feel like that's, that's you're talking about how do you literally turn negative energy into positive energy. I don't know if there's a, a, a Rosetta Stone that artists possess, but I, but I do know that, or a prism, you know, that we possess, but I do know that we, we do turn white light into rainbows all the time, right? You know, and so I'll give that to, to, to Ron. Oh, beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. I have to follow that. I don't want to follow yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I guess what I would say is that, I, I mean, I agree with you, Hakeem, on the thing of like, uh, I'm tempted to have that half, uh, that, that glass half empty uh mood quite a bit and i mean the reality is that there's a lot of hard stuff in life all the way around and um you know you just read the newspaper and you you can get depressed in, in in the first 10 minutes you know but 
I, I guess I just feel like my particular role in life, it, it, maybe from the way I grew up, my parents were just very unconditionally loving people. There was never, uh, you know, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and and it, there were hard things, difficult things going around all the time. People were struggling, and my parents were very inclusive. They were, uh, they were, they were not, they didn't exclude anybody. Anybody and everybody was always welcome at our our dinner table. So I, I didn't grow up with, uh, this view of otherness ever. You know, it was only as I got older where I, I started to see that. And I, I guess I can thank them for giving that to me initially right out of the gate. I, uh, it's almost miraculous that I, I, it feels like a gift. So no matter what negative stuff I go through, I always feel like, you know what? It's my role to look for the positive in this. And, and, uh, th- as far as like songwriting, even if it's a, a I mean, I write, I write negative, you know, f- from a place of negativity sometimes or, or sadness or whatever. And I'm not ever trying to solve anything necessarily. It's always a thing of, uh, how can I make things better? Because so many things in the world are making things bad. And, and I, I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution in everything I do. Mm, beautiful. You know, uh, reminds me of something, um, um, the Muskogee elder Marcel Sparehart said when he said that, uh, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the resolution of conflict with love. Mm. And, uh, you know, you're both very positive people and you're also both aware people. You're aware of what's going on. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with, uh, that you wouldn't be able to solve anything if you didn't first realize what is. And, uh, so thank you. You know, Ron, you, you, you wrote a song that, uh, that's, uh, recently, uh, called This Is the Moment. And I wonder if you would talk about that because that's a, that was a prescient song. Yeah. Um, so you have the lyrics there. I, I do. Would you like me to yeah, read the lyrics? Do you, so, to, yeah. do you want me to describe my how it came about first? Or Absolutely. Like sure, sure. So so basically, it uh, I wrote this song before all the events of, uh, you know, this year. Um, but some people are, are telling me that, wow, you know, it seems like it, it applies very well to what's going on right now. And, and that's mm-hmm. actually why I released it when I did. Um, but the whole the whole point of it for me was uh, I, I had first come up with the, the title um, and I, I was trying to think of the nature of a moment. What is, what is a moment? And I started thinking of the nature of time and I thought about, you know, time really being an illusion. It's, it's a construct. It's something we have tried to, uh, kind of put a lens over the world and, and create this this thing that we think is real and it's not. And, and so in the song I talk about past, present, and future and it's all crystallized into this moment and the, and the power of of a moment. So that that's basically the, the gist of it. But yeah, I'll, I'll read the lyrics for you. This is the moment is the name of the song. This is reality. This is what's real. This is where time and space collide with what we feel, where time's an illusion and cause and effect don't move from past to present and future as we expect. 
this is no ordinary time. This is no ordinary world that we live in. No ordinary life. One thought could change the world, but will it change our minds? All that we can ever know could unwind, collapse, and then explode. This is the moment. One chance to be alive. This is the moment. It's time to realize who we are. Another dimension, right here and now, is ready to take us all as far as we allow. All that's eternal, all we expect, infinite treasures to behold with just one breath. This is no ordinary time. This is no ordinary world that we live in. No ordinary life. One thought could change the world, but will it change our minds? All that we can ever know could unwind, collapse, and then explode. This is the moment. One chance to be alive. This is the moment. It's time to realize who we are. And that's basically it. And then it kind of reframes a few pieces here and there as it goes along. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's amazing, uh, amazingly prescient lyrics. And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, a hundred years ago, you know, you're talking about time colliding, you know, and you somehow you saw this before it even, you know, the COVID even happened. But a hundred years ago, we were in a, we were in a pandemic. Right. You know, and a hundred years ago, women got the right to vote. But, uh, that, that franchise was withheld in most cases from women of color. But now we have a vice presidential candidate, Kamala Harris. So, you know, who's, who's both Caribbean and uh, South Indian. So, you know, the, some, some things are coming back full circle here, it seems. And uh, somehow you saw that because you're, <laughs> you're, you're playing in the Akashic records. I think <laughs> you're playing, you're playing in a place where you can, where you can pick up on some things that are happening. And that, that's pretty cool. And now let's listen to the music of this is the moment.
Now, that's a beautiful song, Ron. It really reminds me of some of the best Moody Blues and Beatles songs. Thank you so much. Um, and I want to bring in Hakeem to ask him if he's got a, uh, a particular poem that might address what we're going through now. With I know you're talking about the iterations of whether it's 2.5 or 3 iterations of Black Lives Matter, but but maybe a... I've I've seen a lot of your work that is uh, just amazing. So I, I'd love it if you want to uh, share one with us now. From well, I'd be happy to. I'm glad Ron. Like you know, to hear the the words acapella. You know, I can't help for the, for the people in the video version. They'll see me grinning and smiling. But um, but I know that you know songwriters. Uh, all, to me, all songwriters are poets, right? You know, and so I, I, that's just how that's why we communicate the way we do. Um, but but to really hear it and let the words have that space too, um, and read with the cadence that Ron read them with. I'm I'm over here beaming like a you know old man poetry coach teacher guy. Like you know, uh, <laughs> uh, like that's good stuff. It's great stuff with the music. It's good stuff without the music. You know, <laughs> like you know, that's true. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah. um, that 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 moment, like you know, um, gosh, Ron, you just took me to a space, and, and I'm happy to share a poem, Glenn. Um, but a place of uh, my favorite quote as of late. I have a favorite quote, different favorite quote every day or every week. But that the first revolution starts with the mind, right? Gil Scott Heron, another uh, oh. music poet, brother of ours, but that the first revolution is, is changing your mind. Like <laughs> that is literally the first revolution. Like, and looking at that visually, like literally your, your brain turning over or spinning around from right to left, like whichever plane you want to see it happening, but one full rotation is actually a revolution of your mind. Right. Like, and I'm just like, that is, um, that's what I felt listening to your work. So I know Glenn gave it the uh-huh. treatment. I'm giving it the last poets that whole like era of like you know the the predecessors of rap like where they were doing poems to you know jazz like you know and then figuring out ways to conjure and that's and that's what we've been speaking about Glenn's mentioned it Ron you've been doing it um I sort of mentioned it that um the role of the artist is to conjure it's to literally cast spells and and maybe one of those things gets enough momentum to catch on and become a thing um that's what MLK's poetry did like that's what JFK's poetry did, and all the other people whose initials end in K. Uh, they they put this poetic vision out there, like like going to the flipping moon, and then us being like, yeah, I don't see why not, and then we did, like you know, and so I feel like that's right. that's uh, it's to Glenn's point, it's a magical mystic place to be in. Yeah. Right to be in, so and it, it's hard to understand when you're in it. Sometimes you're like, yeah, "Where's this going?" I have no idea. It's just you just roll with it, and then you're like, "What? Where did that come from?" You wrote it. You wrote it so long ago. Like you were just like, yeah. oh, "I was just thinking it," and it came out. And uh, I've I've often talked to my young poets. I mean, we're we're all youngish, but they're younger than us. And and talking about um, you know how sometimes you have to grow into your poem. Sometimes yeah. you write something so profound at you know, my students, 15, 16, 19, 20. And I was like, you're not going to get what you just wrote to your 40. Like you wrote that 20 years before you were able to, you were even able to understand what you wrote, <laughs> like, you know, and, you know, and then it's, and it's happened to me. So, so I'll honor, I'll honor Glenn's requests. Um, cause we were, we, we, went, we chatted a little bit prior to, to now. And, um, 
what the one I want to bring, Glenn, is the one about uh, John Lewis because that's the one that's not been publicly shared. It's really a sure, sure, that, that or it, yeah, the debut. But I don't even know if it's done. So I there's see. Some, there's some first third person tenses that aren't doing the right thing, but that's just the English <laughs> teacher in me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but right now uh, I'll share it as uh, it's called Selma Son, and it's the all the emotions that I had watching the. You know, if, if you all were like me and, and, and properly quarantined and at home staring at a, a screen of moving images, you got to watch a day of putting Congressman John Lewis to rest. Um, and, uh, yeah, it spoke to me in ways that I didn't know would, and that's what I came up with. So here it goes. I mean no disrespect to Willie May and Eddie Lewis having sacrificed their third born to the collective romanticization of a country who never really loved him anyhow. Just like Martin Luther and Jesus Christ eventually defied by those who'd assault or assassinate them, a winning and willing sacrifice for peace, I beg your pardon. Because for the purposes of this poem, I need his parents to have the name Selma and Troy. Mm. Two Alabama towns, 86 miles apart, son of the South with heaven on his heart amidst the hell on earth surrounding him. Black boy with the audacity to understand God sent him to save himself save his hometowns and endanger himself to give other black homes a chance at a normal life, to give other black towns a chance at a normal life, put his body on all the lines, picket, color, front, put his body in the way, bridge, house, bus, put his body on display, lunch, counter, guts showed a generation that it takes more heart to take a beating than to throw a punch. He was a different kind of tough, bronze, marble, granite, a survivor. The eyewitness left alive to testify about this country's miscarriage of us, a walking, talking monument to a legacy we'd inherit. And one day, just like that, Selma's son would be gone, still warm, a horizontal history on wheels, the requisite congressional flyover, the unprecedented National Museum of African-American History drive-by for the culture, accessioning himself into the collection of the DNA of a country on his way out. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Yeah. What do you think about uh, both of you? What do you think about this this moment? I mean, everything is coming together. I mean, John Lewis has passed. You know, he was so instrumental in getting the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965, and then and then the Voting Rights Act was gutted. And I. I understand, you know, John Roberts uh, thought that the country had changed. I mean, at that time, we had an African-American president, but but uh, that didn't seem to be true. Um, so, so we're in, it were if it it has changed, of course, but but uh, uh, the protections for voting um, is once again top not topmost in the news. And the Democrats are thinking about if they if they do get the 
the uh, control of the Congress that the, one of the first things they're going to do is a, you know, a reauthorization of a Voting Rights Act in John Lewis's name. So, I mean, this, this really is some kind of an unusual moment in time. Um, so I don't know if you would like to, to, to speak to that and, um, and, and I also want to ask and, uh, you know, what kind of future do you want to see for your children? Um, and, uh, uh, that's a very important question for everyone at any time, but, but especially now. Um, so, uh, I think uh, I'm going to want to give you a chance, Ron, first to to address that. And uh, uh, um, so, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen now? What about this moment in time? What are the possibilities? You know, I, well, I, I got to be honest. I, I feel uh, I, you know how I feel about the book that you just published. It it, it um, made such a mark on me getting to. Uh, record your book and listen to it many times as I edited it and, and read it. And I feel like so many things that you said in the book just make so much sense. Just the whole thing of Donald Trump, uh, potentially, you know, unbeknownst to him playing a trickster figure in, in our, our, uh, history right now. And, and the fact that he doesn't have a filter and, uh, is saying things that nobody else in his position would have, would have said before. And it's actually kind of a gift because it, it's exposing things that are there and have been there. And I feel like we have a real opportunity right now to, to be a better country, to be a better world now as a result of taking a hard look at the shadow side of everything because we can't, we can't ignore it now. It's, there's no, no ability for it to be, uh, covert. It's, it's in our faces. And I, I, I love that. I think that's beautiful. I think we should expose it. And I, there, there's a, there's a lyric that Hakeem said in his rap in Liberty, you know, he's like, it starts out, uh, um, they say freedom, freedom ain't free. So we rapping for reparations. You know, I think it's a good time for that right now. What a perfect time. It's an opportunity. And especially, you know, obviously only if the Democrats get in, is that, is that going to be the opportunity right now? But either way, I mean, the voice, the voices are not going to be muted at this point, which is to me what Liberty is all about. That song is, is all about that. It's basically saying we, we're we're not going to take this man we're we're going for this we're we're going to let our voices be heard from now on and um like i said i think we have a real opportunity to make the world a better place right now awesome thank you i want i want to uh, hand it over to you hakeem but i want to you know ron said something that stimulated something for me i mean i re- remember when donald trump said that i have done more for african americans than any <laughs> other president 
Remember that? <laughs> you know, now, 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 but, but here's the absurd thing. Could he have been right in some strange way because, because of the, <laughs> because what he's done. The only, has, look, the the only way he's it. right yeah, is the only way. exactly what Ron said. Yeah, exactly. Like if that, if yeah. that, would, would yeah. that have happened in four or eight years of Hillary Clinton? Would we, right. would we actually be saying things like defund the police and not be John the Baptist, right? Getting scared out of town? Would right. we be heretics? Or like it was before some of the things we're talking about, um, demilitarize the police, reparations. It was a it was a conspiratorial conversation prior to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And now these are like universal health care. Like literally, we just went through an election cycle where uh, post the Affordable Care Act, where Bernie was too radical and now his views are mainstream. Like I don't right. know if that without going through the as as uh, uh I don't know when this is going to air, but as was said at the DNC debate, the 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 era of darkness, <laughs> like mm. we've just mm. traversed. I don't and 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 I I I agree. I agree that you know, and, and you know, I hate to say this because I know I don't want Glenn's show to get hate mail. Um, <laughs> I voted for Hillary. I did. I did what every progressive was told that they should do that they didn't want to do because you know I was a Bernie guy, and I did it, and we still lost. And, and I, and I'm able to say now, um, and I vote because to your point, Glenn, I vote because my ancestors literally died so I could. So it's not an option for me to just sit it out because I'm so enlightened or so high and mighty that, you know, oh, they're all the same and, you know, don't play, don't play games with the system. There's lives at stake mm-hmm. as we found out in this pandemic. So I, I vote. And so I voted for Hillary even after having a history of voting for third party candidates like Ralph Nader. So I'm like, so I did, I did mm. what I was supposed to do according to the mm. DNC, right? You know, and, and I'm here to say that had she won, which I ho- hope she did, none of the things that we're talking about as left as they are, um, in the DNC, and this is like direct talking directly to you, Democratic National Party, um, that we wouldn't be talking about any of these things if she won. We'd be talking about how to get her reelected to, to maintain the status quo. So I mm. agree with Ron that, mm. and I don't know if he's done more for black people, but I know that he's helped, <laughs> he put black people in a position to do more for themselves. Uh, that's well of said. How terrible, because of how yeah. terrible he is. <laughs> like, 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 yeah. you know, that's and, well um, said. Well yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we're, you know, we're, we're going to be wrapping up soon. Oh, wrapping up. If we're going to wrap up, then I think, I think, I think I should ask you, Hakeem, to do another rap. Um, the, I was wondering if you'd be, if you do the, uh, the Air Floyd, uh, or you, you, is that, is that, uh, or whatever you feel moved to. I also love your usual suspects because, um, um, it, it says something about, uh, Education, which really points to the future. So, whatever you feel moved to, I am um, happy to. While, while we're talking, I'm like trying. I'm, I'm frantically trying to find that piece. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'll, I'll tap dance. I'll stall. Uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll deflect while I. Uh, <laughs> Actually, you are, you are a pretty good dancer, man. I think I think people would be entertained by that. Dude, I, you know, Ron, I won't say this about Ron. Ron, after he, after he had me do the song, he was so gracious to be like, here's Ron performing. We'd love to have you come do the lyrics live and just my schedule would not allow it to happen as much as I would like. But yes, I do like to be on the live stage with musicians and, uh, 
you know, as the kids say, shake what your mama gave you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love um, it. But, uh, but, but I will say this, Glennon, and uh, not to eat up more of our time, and I'll, I'll wish you the suspects. That's the first one I could find easily. Um, but that, you know, um, to Ron's point, like where we go from here, like what, what, what do we see happening? You know, I feel like, what do they say? A people united can never be divided, right? That's our protest chant, right? A people united will never be divided. A people united will never be divided. And I, I feel like party smarty. I mean, this election is, is absolutely one of the most consequential elections of our lifetime. You heard Barack Obama say it, you know, during the DNC. But I also feel like what you're going to see is a marrying of electoral politics and public politics. Those are the protests that are happening, right? And you mm. start, you're starting to see a little bit of that. Before it was kind of like either or. Like, you know, the, the occasional person could frogger, you know, uh, John Lewis could live long enough to become a senator and work on the policy side and not just the public side. But I feel like there is a, what's interesting is that on the other side of this, um, you know, once the election's over, once, uh, I'll go ahead and say it, I hope, you know, the Democratic ticket wins, even though I'm not always a registered Democrat. Uh, I'm mostly an independent, <laughs> but, uh, but, but to be able to say that on the other side of this, there'll be real conversations and I'm taking a page out of Bernie's book. Um, and Bernie has his, Bernie's problematic in his own ways, but that right now we have to come together to get through this election. And after that, the real conversations can begin. And I think mm. the real conversations on the other side of that are going to be the people who've been in the street talking to people who make the policy and having a little bit more of a concerted effort, you know, um, than they've had in the past. And I only say that because of my current position, you know, and it, as, a, as a bureaucrat in the city of Albuquerque, that that has to be what's happening on the other side. And I'm not saying that's what has to happen for party survival. Um, the Democrats have been dumb about that. And if they want to be smart, that's great. But I really don't care about their party survival. I care about the dialogue of democracy. And I feel like that's what's going to be different on the other side. Like, you know, it's not going to be, I don't understand that stuff. So I'm just going to disengage or I'm not political. So I don't talk about guns, even though I carry them. Now, those conversations are so muddy in a good way that um, it's going to be hard to be on the other side of this and pretend that you don't have a dog in the fight. You don't have a dog. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Did you ever uh, see the movie uh, Casablanca? Yes. Do you remember when they say round up the usual suspects? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you rounded it up yet? I have. And, it, okay. uh, and, and it, ironically, this is based on another movie from oh. my generation. I'm 42. Okay. And uh, 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 before uh, they canceled Kevin Spacey, he was <laughs> one of my favorite actors. Um, <laughs> Same. You know what? Same. But you know what? What happens, our- him, what happens to him and the Weinsteins and the Cosbys of the world, they earned and they deserve. But I say, prior to Cos- that. <laughs> I was going to say, Cosby, another one of my heroes. The whole world right. is changing yeah. before our eyes. You know, <laughs> like, I, like I, didn't, I didn't put that in those drinks for them. So that, they yeah. have all those problems. But but I will say that this movie, Usual Suspects, um, was a movie that was influential on me, and that's where this mm. uh, this came from. And so I'll, okay. I'll share it now. It's a triptych. It's a poem in three parts. If you if you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't, do yourself a favor. Go watch Usual Suspects. I don't think I don't think Kevin gets royalties anymore. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one, like Kaiser Soze, systemic racism's greatest trick was convincing the world it didn't exist. 
call you crazy for hearing things, slurs and threats, for seeing things that go fire in the night, right on your front lawn, a boogeyman that knows where you do and do not live, an unsolved church bombing underneath the bed, a package with no return address, used to disguise, only ever occasionally flirt with celebrity, might show a little leg when kicking the living crap out of you, but completely disrobing, coming out from beneath the face covering, used to be sacrilegious. There was a time when white power had a belief system too. Two, nowadays racism is no longer a medical condition. It is no longer color blind. Once invisible, it is all the way out the closet, a minstrel show of itself. It is popular. It is broad daylight. It is a chokehold instead of a noose, close enough to whisper sweet lynchings in your ear. Nowadays, racism is intimate. Nowadays, racism is insolent. Nowadays, racism is infamous. Nowadays, you can see it coming in your rear view. No mask. Three, like Kaiser Sose, Systemic racism is criminal. The one who got away with it. A devil, jealous of our existence. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So, so both, that, that, wow. Thank you. Thank you, Hakeem. Thank you, Ron. I'm, I'm pretty moved here. I, I, I want to come back to that question, though. I want to wrap up and, you know, what kind of future do you want to see? What kind of future do you want to see? And you can tell us also a little bit about what's in your future if you want to, but, but I really want to know what your vision is for, for America and the world. And I was hoping your son would come in and, uh, uh Hakeem's got a, Got a young... He disappeared now. He disappeared. Those tweeners are pretty stealth. They find places. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is, I mean, uh, we do these things for the, for, the, for the next generations, obviously. We have to think of them. You know, in Native culture, you think of seven generations, backwards and forwards. So, yeah, have to be... Please the ancestors and please the next. So anyway, what kind of future do you want to see? You know, I mean, and I, I really, I guess I'm also asking, you know, if you, if you really think that, that this is a threshold we've passed now, that we're, that we're at least at the end of denial of racism, if not the end of racism. So, but what, what kind of future do you want to see in this country and the world? I think that I think we're definitely at the end of denial, at least for the moment. But I, I guess I'm, from my standpoint, I, I hate to be the I. I'm in such shock that everything that 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 some of the stuff has happened that I'm. I actually feel a little pessimistic. I got to be honest. I feel optimistic for the near future, and I feel, uh, I feel like things are have the we have the opportunity to get for things to get better i really do and i um i want to do everything i can to further that in, in my own world and uh but i i guess at the moment i'm feeling a little pessimistic overall just because it's it's been going on for so long 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what's it going to take? You, you see the, the amount of the population of, of the United States who has elected the guy that we have in there right now, and they're passionate about about that candidate. Um, and I, I think a lot of Democrats don't really realize how passionate they are. Some of the, the things that I've read of, uh, it's a complete, we have two completely different countries here, I, in my opinion. And I, I guess I just feel like the people who believe uh, in, in a new new way of doing things uh, and in fixing things need to forge ahead and um and do it no matter what no matter what what you believe is going to happen in the future um you know i know what i want but i i'm not sure what i expect honestly um do, does that sound too negative i'm for the guy who's trying to trying to be positive here that's that's really how i feel right now mm-hmm. i it, it doesn't sound too negative because i i can totally lean into that as a you know the inner teenage brooding poet in me, you know, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, like I, there is, um, I just feel like there's been so many different, different populations. I'm not just speaking. Um, and I can't, I would say I can't speak for the black community. I can speak for my black experience, but, um, but beyond the black community, I feel like there's been a sense of not, it's not helplessness. It's hopelessness. Right. You know, and that, Things aren't going to change in my lifetime, right? Like, if it's just not, like, my job is to do the best I can under the current conditions. And um, I feel like that historically has not been enough. And you've had the outliers, right, um, as Malcolm Gladwell has talked about, like, that have, like, you know, really resisted that and created large systemic and policy change. I do feel, there's optimism in me, is that now there's a critical mass of people who actually feel like, outliers who feel like, um, and I, and I point to the young folks, like my son can't be here. So I'll speak for not his generation. He's 12, but, um, my fiance's son, Max is 18. And, and those kids, the kids who either are just about to vote or are voting now were also the Parkland kids. They were also the kids that bought us as close as possible to having a real conversation about our second amendment. Right. And, and because they, because they watched their friends die. And they, and they had to be white kids because black kids in Chicago watch their friends die all the time to gun violence. So it had to be white kids in Parkland, Florida. And they pushed the conversation so far that the sitting attorney general in New York can actually investigate the NRA. And so I feel like those things are no small. Like that's, that's the stone wall of, <laughs> of, you know, gun rights, like the conversation in this country. And I feel like that same generation also a year and a half ago or a year ago had us the whole planet but prior to the pandemic that is the result of not respecting our planet <laughs> um before they led us to the climate march you know that had you know the exons of the world sweating you know 14 year old girls the like Thunberg, like these corporations sweating like you know and i'm like to me and then now the current iteration of black lives matter where i get to go to marches in albuquerque and um and I'm there with the mayor and I'm looking at who's organizing this thing and they're clearly ten years younger than me. Clearly, easily ten years younger than me. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? Again, back to what we were talking about, man. I may not get there with you. I might not have been my generation, but your generation has something else. Y'all got something else that we didn't have. When we when we told you guys that you were selfless, video game playing, internet surfing, 
non-carers and they're like, oh, but wait till we get to vote. <laughs> and that's what the parking kids are saying. They're like, when we, when you didn't listen to us when our friends got shot, we couldn't vote. We can vote in this presidential election. Look out. Like, you know, and I just feel like that's, that's the same for the people who are asking for defunding the police. It's the same for the people who are worried about the future of our planet and our environment. And, um, yeah, I, I mess with them if you want to. I think they're dead serious. <laughs> like, I think they're dead serious. Like, you know. Oh, awesome. Thank you very okay. much. Thank you. Thank you to Ron Crowder. Thank you to Hakeem Bellamy. Thank you for your collaboration. You know, I, I didn't even realize I've been just doing about, uh, just started doing this podcast, did about, uh, six or so episodes and I did not even realize it consciously, but what I, what I've been wanting to showcase is good collaboration, people that work together well. And you, and you are a beautiful, you two are a beautiful example of that. So thank you so much for being on the program and for, and for, uh, being, a an example, an example to people. And thank you for your spirit. Thank you so much. This program is made possible by Select Books, Waterside Productions, BizGenics, and the Ecology Prime Media Channel, Native Flute Music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathways CD, Liberty Song by Artist Ron Crowder, written by Ron Crowder, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey. Post-production editing by Scout Media Strategies. The Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on Earth. For more information, go to originalthinking.us or originalpolitics.us. And you can also find and purchase my books, Original Thinking and Original Politics, there. Thank you for listening. And until next week, we'll be joined by Stephen Sachs and LaDonna Harris. Stephen Sachs, a political scientist, and LaDonna Harris, a long-time Native American activist. Um, and uh, thank you so much. What a great show. Thank you, Hakeem and Ron. Many blessings to you.